0: to be with you, as I've said already today. Um, What an incredible privilege to travel, though, on behalf of our congregation, behalf of um, the the work that God is doing here, and the work God is doing across the world. Um, In a couple weeks, um, I think it's the last Sunday, whatever that Sunday is, 26 maybe, uh, God willing, I hope to share some of the things that God has been teaching me, and some of the things that God is doing in His church across the world. Um, And so. uh, This morning, though, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. While I traveled, it was really hot there, and I came back and it was really hot here. And so I don't, I want to say thank you uh, for the gift of heat. Um, It's good. Summer is here. Shorts are here. Swimming is here. It's a good day. Um, This morning, we are going to be looking at all of Galatians chapter 6, okay? It may seem like a lot, but there's some things that hold it together. And we are kind of concluding our study in the book of Galatians. Galatians, again, in the New Testament, towards the end of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. There's some at the back of the auditorium. invite you to pick one up back there. Galatians, written by Paul, and it's written to address some issues that are going on in the local church. And friends, the more I travel, the more I recognize that there's always issues going on in the local church because we're people, and we have struggles, and we struggle with what God wants for us, and we struggle with how we live that out. And it's true here, and it's true across the world. It's true, we go back 2,000 years to the time of Paul's writing, and he's writing to Galatian believers, predominantly Gentile followers of Jesus, who've been told by Jewish followers of Jesus that you have to become Jewish in order to be in relationship with God. And that's not the gospel, Paul says. And all of Galatians is primarily written to, to say, you are made new by Christ, and by Christ's work alone. And so we come to the end of this book, and as you look last week, it, it starts talking about how we are liberated to be free in Galatians chapter 5, to stand firm, don't submit yourself to a loke of slavery, but in your freedom, don't serve your flesh, don't serve yourself, but serve one another in love. Paul actually quotes um, the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus picks up on this when he is asked, what are the two greatest commandments? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Both of those come from the Hebrew scriptures, from the Old Testament. And then he says, walk by the Spirit, don't gratify the desires of your flesh. But he comes to chapter 6, and he's going to say something kind of in line with this, but he's going to talk to the community and about how they're supposed to live together. And he's going to have some very, very pointed words for us. Um, when I was a kid... One of the things that I grew up doing was going to this place. And one of the great things about summer is that baseball is here in full swing. And some of you, I know, eyes glass over because you're like, oh, nine innings of a waste of my life, perhaps. But baseball is just, I find it such great joy in watching and even listening to it. Driving home from the airport the other day, I was listening to a baseball game. It was helping me keep awake when I was having a hard time falling or having a hard time staying awake on my drive. This is um, Riverfront Stadium, okay? It used to be called Riverfront Stadium. Then it was renamed Synergy Field. And then they blew it all up and they built Great American Ballpark. And if you don't know the city I'm in yet, the great city of Cincinnati, the queen city, the city. City that has just an amazing view of the Ohio River. I grew up going to baseball games, and one of my favorite memories was going to these with my family. My grandpa, in particular, he, he would take us to these games uh, every, every year. In the summer while we were off school, he'd say, hey, let's go to a day game. And so we'd sit way, way high, high, high up in the bleachers there, and we would have our glove just in case they managed to hit one into the double triple deck or whatever it is and we would take our hats and we might wear our cincinnati red shirts in 1990 if you don't know this which i don't know why you would but 1990 was the year of the cincinnati reds they went wire to wire they had an amazing sweep in the world series i'm just nerding out right now anyways um but i grew up watching barry larkin play shortstop and he was incredible to watch he had the hat he had the gloves he had the cleats I had the hat, I had the glove, I had the shirt, but there's a big difference between Barry Larkin and I, besides the fact that he's an incredible ball player. uh, He actually took the field. And Paul is essentially going to be saying, I want you engaged in your spiritual walk. I want you to not just sit up and enjoy the game from the bleachers, I want you to get on the field and play. And that's why Paul is going to write what he writes here today. Because it's possible to look like a ball player, have the gear, know the stats and the rules, and go to the park without actually entering into the game. And Paul cares about what matters. And what matters is get into the game of what God is doing. That's what really matters. Live as who you are in Christ. And so, with that said, would you stand with me and let us read together the scriptures. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 reads as this: It says, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in himself alone. And not in respect to someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. The one who is taught the message must share all his good things with, his, with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So don't, go ti- don't grow tired or weary of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For for even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves. However, they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace come to all those who follow this standard and mercy to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body scars for the cause of Jesus. Brothers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words of this book. We thank you for this letter that instructs us even still today. And as we've been able to read its very words over the past several weeks, and to study and to look at them, God, I pray we would learn day by day what it means to walk by the Spirit. God, that we would find great joy in having relationship with you and being reminded constantly that we are loved by our Heavenly Father and that you delight in us. God, thank you for that privilege of being your sons and your daughters. Guide my thoughts and my words guide our hearts and our minds as we put our our energies to the task of hearing and living out your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're gonna break this up into a couple of sections. The first section comes in the first 10 verses. And it's interesting because sometimes what happens in Christian circles is we say, okay, I'm a Christian, now I'm just gonna go ahead and I'm gonna do my own thing. And Paul addresses that, all right? Recognize there is conflict in the community that he's writing to, but he says this, brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, any sin, any waywardness from God, he says, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit. He's essentially saying, I want you to lovingly get in the business of your brother and your sister, all right? You and I don't walk this journey alone. We walk it with each other. And because of that, we have a responsibility for each other. You could phrase this this way, we are spiritually interdependent, okay? I'm going to talk about about that word more in a couple weeks when I give my mission presentation, because one of the core values of the team of mission workers that I visited last week was interdependence. This, this, um, understanding in practice that they need to be in each other's lives because they are not isolated from everyone. They need each other to follow God more passionately. They need each other to give an example of the glory of God more brilliantly. In fact, it's God uses people, not just as isolated people, but as a whole community to glorify his name. So we are spiritually in interdependent, meaning we are responsible for others, but we're also responsible for our own spiritual walks. So verse one, um, he essentially says, if you're caught in sin, you who are spiritual, now that could be your, your pastors or your elders, that could be any number of us, any of us who have experienced redemption by God, we've been made new, we've been made holy, and we are in the process of being made holy. But he says, you who are spiritual, you who are walking with God and you see a brother or sister who is straying from God, restore them, restore them. Now, restoration can sometimes be a difficult thing. It's not natural for us. We, We tend to have three tendencies within the body of Christ, all right? The first tendency is this, we tend to judge people. We say, oh, you're doing that. I would never do that, right? Judging. That's an easy one for many of us to go to. The second one is we might ignore it. We're like, ooh, if I address this, what's going to happen? I see them walking away from Christ. What's going to happen if I say, hey, what's going on with your heart? What's going on with your life? And so sometimes we judge, sometimes we ignore it. The third thing that we can find a tendency that Paul addresses here is sometimes in trying to help someone, we get caught in their sin. That's why Paul says, you who are spiritual should restore. Because it may be that a brother or sister is struggling with something that we also struggle with. And there's a way that we can help them, but there's a limit to how much we can help them because what has to happen first is our walk has to be right before God. I spent a lot of hours on planes the last uh, 10, 15 days here. And um, now they, they, they automate most of the, uh, you know, the, the warnings of like, you know, if there's a loss of cabin air pressure, do this, this, and this. Now they say, you know, if there's a loss of cabin pressure, remove your face mask and then put on your oxygen mask because you have to make sure you secure yours before you can help someone else. You have to have oxygen to breathe to effectively help someone else. So for Paul, he's assuming every person is being responsible for their own spiritual walk. And he actually says that in verse 5. He says, for each person will have to carry his own load. So on the one hand, there's personal responsibility before God. But on the other hand, with that personal responsibility comes an opportunity to invest our lives for the kingdom by helping a brother or sister who is stuck in sin not find shame and guilt, find restoration in Christ. Paul's goal here, again, is that people would experience and live uh, out the fruit of the Spirit. And the only way you live out the fruit of the Spirit is by walking with God. I I listened to Matt's teaching from last week, and he did a fantastic job. And I want to say you had a prop, right? Did you have a prop with like black sticky notes or something? No? I thought he did. Okay. Oh, in your mind. Okay, so when you were talking about that in the sermon, go listen to that, I imagined this, this glass jar covered with black sticky notes. When we come to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. And one of the things Jesus says in the Gospels is to let your light shine so that men might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The way we let our light shine is we, we remove all these black sticky notes that block the light of Christ coming from our lives. right? We do that by yielding to the Spirit, not being satisfied or gratified by pursuing these desires of our flesh, but, but by walking with God each day, by waking up in the morning and saying, God, I yield myself to you. God, would you lead and guide me in your grace? We have to take that initiative and that responsibility for our own lives Because if we don't take it for ourselves, we can't help others as effectively as God might have us do. We have to be responsible for these things. Now, how does this work in practical life? Well, someone comes up to you and they start talking to you about, you know, they start gossiping about something and they start telling you about how they don't like so-and-so because they did this or they didn't do that. Or someone comes up to you and says, hey, here's what I'm doing. You're like, ooh, you shouldn't be doing that. And you have a relationship with them. How do you respond? Well, Galatians says the person who's living by the Spirit should engage the other and seek to restore them to God and to the body. Because sometimes we think, well, it's just my own life. It doesn't matter for everyone else. But it always matters, all right? Whenever I'm out of relationship with God, it has a negative effect on everyone around me. I may not see it, I may not think it, but it does. It does. A mom or a dad who uses words that cut people down. Their kids see that. They'd be like, well, I'm just using those words. They don't really mean anything, but their kids might have a wounded spirit. A broken relationship with God has affected someone else. You're in your office, your place of business or school, and you're going about things, and you're doing something that doesn't honor God, and people look at you and they go, ooh, what do they really believe? in traveling this last week, there is a certain perception of Christians in the country I went to. And the perception is this, if you are a Christian, mm, you might be a follower of Jesus or you might just be a really wicked person. And in fact, the areas of the town that, or the areas of the country that we went to, if you go to the Christian area, that's where you find a lot of the not so good stuff. Because for people who call themselves Christians in that area, some of them are devout followers of Jesus and others are Christians in name only. But the people on the outside look at those and they say, hmm, they're Christians, so that must mean that they elevate promiscuity or they elevate licentiousness or theft or self-pleasure. Whenever we have a disconnect with our vertical relationship with God, it always follows that it will affect those around us, which is why God wants his church to be interdependent and to help one another follow Christ. And and it's significant that Paul reinforces this principle while addressing a situation where there's conflict, because a lot of times we see conflict and we run. The principle that Paul then goes to talk about in Galatians 6 verse 4 is, he says, um, the one who sows will reap what he sows. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. And he actually says this. He says, verse 9, don't get tired of doing good. Now, good here is always defined by God. When God calls something good, you know it's good. When I call something good, it may be good. Good is always defined by God. Why is it defined by God? Scripture says, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever, from Psalm 100, right? The Lord is good. When we understand what good is, we understand who God is. When we understand what good is, we understand who God is. Or maybe you should flip it around. When we understand who God is, we understand what good is. And he says, don't get tired of doing good, because when there's conflict and when there's issues going on, giving up on what is good is sometimes one of the easiest things for each one of us to do. So, this principle, we will sow what we reap. Keep doing what is good as defined by God. And I would add this, even if I don't feel like it, there's another principle that comes here is that it's this harvest comes later than what we want sometimes. It says we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up at the proper time, the proper time? What is the proper time? Time, of course, is something that looks very different to God than it does to me. And we looked at this a couple weeks ago when we talked about Abraham, 75 years old. He's given this promise that he's gonna have a nation. And then 76 comes along, and 77, and eventually 80, and then 85, and 90, and 99, 25 years he waits for God's promise. In proper time, we will receive God's goodness and God's grace. Harvest comes later than we want sometimes, but our call is not to worry about the harvest. Our call is to be faithful, to live by the Spirit, even when it doesn't feel like it. So just think about this for a moment. As we think about life together in a community... What is your tendency? Is your tendency to judge people who are caught in sin? Is it to ignore people who are caught in sin? Or is it to get caught with others in doing sin? What God is teaching here is our life should be marked by walking with God so closely that we come alongside a brother and sister who is wandering and we say, Can I help you walk? can I encourage you in what is right, in what is good, as defined by God. That's easy to say and hard to do sometimes, which is why all of this is said in the context of walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of your flesh. That's the first section of Galatians chapter 6. The second section comes in verse 11. And sometimes you come to the end of these letters and you're like, oh, he's winding it down. I don't really need to listen to what else he's going to say, all right? It's kind of like all the niceties at the end of a letter. But Paul actually has several really good things in these final um, eight verses or so. And he says this in six verse 11. It says, Paul himself is writing in large letters, all right? The reason he's writing in large letters, the reason it says this is because he's likely using someone to help write the rest of the letter. Paul's dictating. And not everyone had great penmanship skills. Paul, we know, is a leather worker. He works with his hands all the time. Not only that, he's been beaten, he's been stoned, and all these kind of things. So who knows what kind of deformities he has on his hands and his eyes. But he says, it says this, I'm writing in large letters. And scholars talk about, you know, is this because he couldn't see, or is this because he's trying to highlight the importance of these final truths? Whatever the reason, Paul's not done encouraging these Galatian followers of Jesus and teaching them in what matters most in life. Paul says in verses 12 and 13 that those who are compelling circumcision, you know, forcing Gentiles essentially to become Jewish in order to be a follower of Jesus, they do so in order to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ, okay? They're doing so to not experience hardship in their life. In other words, their goal is personal comfort and image. It's not godliness and walking with the Spirit. They care more about the externals of their life than what God has done to redeem His people and to make them new in Christ. In baseball terms, going back to you know, the ball field, if you will. Uh, In baseball terms, they care a lot more about wearing the jersey and the cap than they do about getting on the field, right? They care more about looking the part than actually getting on the field and being involved in following God in their everyday lives. They want these Gentile believers to obey the law of Moses so that they can boast in their obedience, However, the, the, the people who desire to force external actions on these Gentile believers, they actually fail to keep the law themselves, is what Paul says. And so their desire is personal comfort and recognition, and they care about what people think rather than what it means to walk by the Spirit. And it's summarized in verse 14. It says, But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to boast about the cross is to boast in something that was considered shameful. You know, even the Hebrew scriptures, even the Old Testament says, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree, which is what happened to Jesus. From the Jewish perspective, it's, wow, he was cursed. And Paul says, no, there's something much bigger going on. And in fact, I'm not only going to just like let that slide, I'm actually going to boast in what Christ has done, because in what he has done, he's brought salvation and redemption to the world. In fact, that is Paul's boast and he says the world has been crucified to me through the cross and i to the world he's making him himself in a similar pattern as his savior he 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 is finding us boast or his glory or his brag or he's priding himself not in the externals of faith but in what christ has done because it means he's a new creation it means god has done something so incredible in his life changed him so powerfully that he can't talk about anything else. Jesus, when he's um, talking in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six, he, um, he's talking about prayer and he's talking about people and he calls them hypocrites who stand, on the synago- stand in the synagogues and they stand on the street corners. So you might find them standing on a street like this. This is a picture of Jerusalem standing on the street corners and and they're praying so that they can be seen by men their faith is an external thing but it's an external thing because they want to be seen as holier than they actually are and jesus in teaching his disciples to pray he says pray to your father but pray in secret so that your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you in other words there's an internal component of faith that his followers are supposed to have where their identity is found in what Christ has done, not in what people think of them. Now, this happens all the time in the church. You know, I, I go to a church conference sometimes, and one of the first questions you might get asked at a church conference is, so where's your church, okay? So we talk about that. You ask the second question, it's like, so how big is your church? And pretty soon, like some people ask that just innocently. They, they, they wanna know, tell me about your community. Some people ask that going, okay, and begin to check things, oh, you have this many people? I have this many people. You have that kind of facility. I have that kind of facility. For, for Paul, his brag and his boast is not in the externals of the faith. and it doesn't mean that those things don't matter, but finding our identity in those externals of the faith is always a losing end, because they become idols before God. What are you boasting? What are you boasting? Do you tend to boast in the externals of faith? How, how you look when you come, you know, whether your shirt's tucked in, wh- whether you've had a good week, or do you boast in what Christ is doing in your life, however pleasant or messy it might be? God wants to walk with you. God wants to walk with me. He wants to make us more like himself. Just that reality that we are loved by God should absolutely knock our socks off. Because we, of all people, with all of our sin, and all of our junk, and all of our baggage, it's easy to think that we could not be loved. But we are. But we are. So much so that God makes us a new creation. And Paul says this in verse 15, what matters instead is a new creation. And he says both circumcision and uncircumcision, they mean nothing. All right? So your Jewish background Doesn't mean a thing when it comes to new creation. Your Gentile background doesn't mean anything when it comes to being a new creation. Because what God is doing is something wholly new and remarkable for humanity. This is Paul's boast. Boasting in the cross, boasting in what Jesus has done. A new creation is what matters. New creation people are people who believe God's promises. They walk by the Spirit and they seek to love one another. New creation people, according to Paul, are people who receive their identity given to them by Christ. They're righteous, not because they are righteous in and of themselves, but because God has declared them righteous through their trusting of God. New creation people are called not to live according to the old way of living but to live by faith as God has made them. See, when God begins to do a work in people, there's a beautiful end. Here's a photo of a butterfly, shocking, right? Um, Butterflies don't start as butterflies though, all right? You have the egg stage, you have the larva stage, you have the pupa stage. When God fashions a butterfly, he doesn't send it back to be an egg again. It's called to be a butterfly. When you and I are given our new identity in Christ, he doesn't want us to walk in the ways in which we used to walk. He wants us to walk as his children. He wants us to walk as his people and to find our joy and our glory in him as we do that. One way you could ask this of, you know, whether or not we're walking as new creation people is do our lives continually more and more characterize the old way of living? Paul describes it as anger and selfishness, bitterness, anxiety, sexual promiscuity, hatred, jealousy, all these things in in Galatians 5. Or, Or do the fruits of the Spirit begin to show in our life, little by little by little? When we have an identity founded in God and in His grace, we see love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We see these fruits of God's Spirit working in and through us as indicators of God's power at work in our life, all right? What characterizes your walk today? Now, Paul says that. He says, what matters instead is the new creation. He says, may peace come to all those who follow this standard. Peace to those who follow the standard. Mercy to the Israel of God. He comes to the last couple verses here, verses 17 and 18. You might think he's done, um, but I'm really encouraged by these last two verses. He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, because I bear in my body scars for the cause of Jesus. This photo right here is, sorry, this photo right here is an Egyptian cattle brand, all right? It's a way that they would mark cattle, uh, that they would, that they would um, separate themselves off so that the, the farmers knew, oh, that's my cow, oh, that's my cattle, I'm going to take them to be mine. Paul is following Jesus, and we know from elsewhere in the scripture that um, Paul endured quite the suffering for following Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11, you can look it up later, describes Paul experiencing these things. Think about this. Think about experiencing this as a follower of Jesus. Imprisonment, beatings, near death. Five times he's whipped with 39 lashes from his Jewish brothers and sisters. Three times he's beaten with rods. He's stoned, he's shipwrecked, He faced dangers, he labored, he had hardship, he had hunger, thirst, sleepless, cold. One time he's even forced to escape via a basket to get out of the city before he's captured by the king. This is a man who knows suffering and who knows the hardship that following Jesus can be. But he says this, let no one cause me trouble. What? Let no one cause me trouble He says, because I bear on my body the scars for the cause of Jesus. Paul sees all these things that have happened to him. Now, these aren't good things. These aren't holy things. These are not things that he says, it's no problem. It didn't hurt. Um, It didn't matter. You're just doing you. No, these are things that are wrong. These are things that were sin done against a human being made in God's image. But for Paul, the one who received all these things, for him... These are just scars for the cause of Jesus. These are just brands for the cause of Jesus. That word scar there can mean brand. So when people look at a slightly deformed face of a guy who's been whipped 39 times, for Paul, it's not like, ooh, he's been beaten up. For Paul, it's Jesus. For, For Paul, when he's been near death and he's been left even for dead, At least one time the physical ailments that have come from that have not been sources for arguing or sources for complaining but marks that describe how his walk with god is and i don't think it would have been like hey just look at me i'm amazing he looks at those and i think he even says to the point of saying consider how much i've been beaten and Jesus suffered even more for me. Paul sees these things as part of his faithful work in following Jesus. He doesn't go looking for them. He doesn't condone them as being right or just. They are, however, the result of following God in a broken and sinful world. Paul describes God's grace. and God's grace is the power to be strong and to love others in weakness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 12, um, Paul talks about weakness again. W- one of the things that happens uh, in Paul's life is, um, is he comes to a city, and he had just been beaten and left for dead. They thought he was dead. He gets up and he keeps going. And he comes to this other city, and, and it's possible that this is in reference when he's writing this, this letter. And he begins to make a boasting in the cross, rather than in all these weaknesses. You know, for Paul, weakness, whether it be physical weakness, whether it be intellectual weakness or emotional weakness, is not about him. It's about Christ. All these moments in which he is holy and utterly insufficient. For Paul, he comes to this point in his life where he says, you know what, actually when I'm weak, I'm strong. When I'm beaten down, when I'm yelled at, when I have fracture with my colleagues, God is doing a work in me to make me more like himself. Because in weakness, the grace and the power of God is most fully evident. Paul, with all of his wisdom, Paul with all of his training, Paul with all of his knowledge, could have boasted in those things. But he says, you know what? I'm incredibly weak, that's an encouragement to me because, friends, every one of us are weak. Whether it's we're weak physically, you know, adapting to a new knee or adapting to a torn ligament, adapting to mental or brain issues, having emotional issues like anxiety or depression, having. Intellectual issues and not being able to understand everything that's being thrown at you. All these things are opportunities to go to God and to say, God, I'm insufficient in this. And it's in our weakness, Paul says, God is made strong. Let me ask you this. Where are you weak today? Where are you weak today? One of the principles that um, the team leader um, that I visited last week overseas said to me at one point, as he said, you know, Jeremy, one of the things I find is that people's greatest weakness becomes one of their greatest opportunities to serve the community. So if they've struggled with anxiety, for example, as God has given them victory and power over that anxiety, it becomes a way that they can actually speak Christ into other people's lives with greater power. And it's true. It's true for us. Because in difficult times, when we allow God to draw near to us, and we draw near to God, we experience his presence in a much deeper way than what we often do on the mountaintops. I I said at a recent wedding I was involved with, I I I quoted a song and it goes like this, life is not the mountaintops, it's the walking in between. Um, Great, great song, great lyric. Um, and it's true for our spiritual lives. It's true, because a lot of our life is lived on the mountaintops, and when life is easy, it's easy to forget God. And yet, when life becomes difficult, we are reminded about how much we absolutely need God for what we are doing in our lives today. A few years ago, one of my friend and mentors, he, he lost his beloved wife of 30-plus years. And it was a really challenging season for him. And one day I was having coffee with him, and he said, "You know, Jeremy, sometimes I wake up and I physically reach my hand into the air, and I pray to God, and they say, Father, I need you to carry me today. What was an incredible hardship became a brand that God allowed in his life And that brand has been a way that God has used to not only grow a more deep relationship with him, but to help him minister to others with greater passion and with greater intentionality. There are believers around the world today who experience all sorts of branding and hardship. In our weaknesses and in their weaknesses, God's grace is sufficient because his power is made perfect in weakness. Weakness and persecution are opportunities for God's grace to flourish, but we often avoid weakness today. What's a weakness that you might be facing? That God might want you to, instead of fight it, yield yourself to God and be taught by God, to walk with God, to let the community of faith come around you and to encourage you and to pray for you. One of the verses my wife has prayed over me for the last several years now comes from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says this, When I came to your brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. And he didn't. For I didn't um, think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And he actually did. He's been kicked out of place after place after place. He comes to them literally in weakness and fear and trembling. He says, my speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but they were with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit, so that your faith may not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Where are you weak today? That you can say, God, I am weak here. I need your strength. Weakness is not a bad thing. It actually is an opportunity to depend upon God. Here's a photo. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, this is me, by the way. This is little Jeremy, many, many years ago, playing baseball on the back field of the school that we went to. Um, One of the things I loved growing up was uh, my grandpa, my dad, my aunt, my sister. we'd We'd play baseball. We'd be invited onto the field. We wouldn't just want to look the part. I mean, you can tell I'm wearing my awesome Nike shoes with my little half-high socks there, my awesome uh, Franklin glove that I still have at home that's a little bit messed up. I've got the short shorts. (laughs) Welcome to the 80s, friends. And whatever hat I'm wearing there, I don't know. I was looking the part that day, right? In my five-year-old mind, I was looking like a baseball player. But what really made me a baseball player was this. I was on first base. What makes us a part of a community, what makes us a part of God's people, is not that we seek to look the part, but we seek to walk by the Spirit. We get on the field. We say, God, would you help me field this ball? Because I don't know if it's going to go over me. Where are you weak today? I think God wants to be strong Where is God calling you into relationship with others to restore and to build? Where is God calling you not to glory in the things of your life, but to glory in the cross of Christ? Would you pray with me, please? Our Father and our King, even as we get ready to celebrate communion this morning, we're reminded of what Christ has done for us. What was shame? God, is glory for us because in what seemed to be weakness to the world, you did an amazing thing at making us strong through Jesus' death and his resurrection. God, we thank you that you are sufficient for us today. We thank you that no matter what we are walking in, God, you love us and you care for us and you have a meaning and a purpose and a plan for our life. And God, we yield ourselves again to you today to be taught by you, to be encouraged by you, to be empowered by you. God, be glorified as we walk with the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, We invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.